a cannibal chief had captured a man near his camp, and he said to the man, what is your profession? The man replied, I was editor of my company paper. The chief smiled and said, good. Tomorrow you will be editor in chief. (laughs) Some people only think about food, and this was so true of the Jews that Jesus had fed. Uh, Let us now See what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, Turn with me to John chapter 6. This will be the first of the seven I am statements. John chapter 6, beginning down in verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you may believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, what a privilege to embark upon the I am statements of your son. We are so privileged to learn about his person and work. And I pray that we would just walk away changed, understanding not only the nature of our God, but the awesome works that he has done that testify that he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. Speak to each heart. Help us to really grasp the profound text before us today. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, begin our text in verses 22 through 25, we have the setting. Verse 22 speaks about the following day. Let me uh, set the stage for you. Jesus has just fed 
the 5,000, 5,000 men alone, which means there could have been approximately 15,000 people that he fed. The people wanted to come and force him to be their king. Jesus would have nothing to do with that, and he also wanted to protect his disciples who were given to hero worship. They wanted to be everybody's hero. So Jesus put them on a boat and then sent them away. But the people are perplexed because they were looking everywhere for Jesus, but they did not know that he had walked across the sea. That's why down here in verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They found him actually in the synagogue, according to verse 59. And it's intriguing because Jesus chose not to do his fifth sign. Remember the seven signs in John's gospel. He chose not to do the fifth sign in front of the multitude, but just before his disciples. Now, speaking about sign, that is what we will see in verses 26 through 33. In verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, observe here, he doesn't answer their question directly that they asked from verse 25, but rather rebukes them for their materialism. Observe carefully the two words given to us in verse 26, most assuredly. The Greek says, amen, amen. Four times in this discourse, we'll also see this in 32, 47, and down in verse 53, Jesus introduces an important subject with these two words. Translated in New King James, most surely, sometimes you'll see truly, truly, or verily, verily. Jesus goes on to say, you seek me, not because you saw the signs. Recall from John chapter 20 in 30 and 31 that Jesus had done many other signs and these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. They missed the meaning of the sign. That was their problem. And now John gives us a strong contrast. See the word but? It's an adversative. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Let me give you a couple of notable quotes here. Godet writes, instead of seeing in the bread the sign, they had seen in the sign only the bread. Then Ryle writes, They were moved not by full hearts, but by full bellies. Down in verse 27, Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes. Once again, he uses the adversative, Allah, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Our Lord was trying to show the people not to be consumed with the temporal, a one-time filling with bread, but rather to focus upon the eternal. Uh, In the book of Deuteronomy, and the word Deuteronomy means second law, the younger generation that were now going to go into the land 
of Canaan receive instruction. The older generation pretty much has died out. And um, Deuteronomy 8 speaks about the manna. Do you recall? God was teaching the nation of Israel a lesson over 40 years. For five days, the people were to go outside and gather enough manna for the day. And then the day prior to the Sabbath, they were to gather enough for two days because they were not to go out and work on the Sabbath, but for it to be a rest. The provision of manna was to teach the people that God provides for them and that they need to obey God's word in every word. Jesus, meditating on Deuteronomy 8 during his 40 days of temptation, we're told in Matthew 4.4, when Satan tempts Jesus, he says, but it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus here is trying to express to these materialistic Jews that they should not be living for the temporal, but for the eternal. So don't labor for the food which perishes. He says, rather, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And then he continues, which the Son of Man, and observe the words carefully here, will give you. Notice the word give and not the term earn. Salvation is a gift of God. The Father sent the Son as a gift. The work had already been done when life, when Christ had finished his ministry on earth. And now these individuals are not thinking about the gift of God in a sense of salvation because Jesus continues, because God the Father has set his seal on him. The Father himself had shown people that Jesus was the real deal. Do you remember at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 3, in verse 17, this is my beloved son, the voice came from above, in whom I am well pleased. So when the father sets his seal upon the son, it speaks about ownership. It speaks about the son's authenticity, and that's who Jesus Christ is. He has now been ministering, demonstrating on a regular basis that the father had sent him, and the individuals are only consumed with the temporal provision of food and not the message of belief that Jesus was pointing out to the people. Now in verse 28, Then they said to him, what shall we do? Hear those two words? We do, that we may work the works of God. See, they missed the point of what Jesus was saying in verse 27 because Jesus says there, which the Son of Man will give. See, the idea is the provision is from him. And they're emphasizing here, what do we need to do? We do is a present tense verb. They are looking for a set of rules or works that they may continue regularly in order to please the Almighty. May I draw your attention to Romans chapter 10, down in verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, for Christ 
is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In the Greek sentence, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, the first word that appears in that sentence is the word end, telos. It speaks about the goal or the terminus. In other words, Christ is the end of the law. The law pointed to Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus says so clearly, he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. You and I can never keep the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments, the 613 commandments given in the first five books of the Old Testament. We are not able to keep the law. James 2.10 says that if you break the law at one point, any point, then you're guilty of all the law. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, offered himself as a sacrifice to God. Why could he do that? Because he kept the law. He's the end of the law. So when we place our faith in Christ, it's at that moment we are born again. His righteousness is given to us. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. The one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Continuing now down in verse 29, then Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Notice Jesus moves from the plural works that the people had spoken about to the singular work. This is the work of God. It's a singular work. It's pointing to the fact that Jesus came to fulfill the law, that then he would die for the sin of the people, and that when you believed in him, that was how you obtain eternal life. And this is exactly what Jesus says at the end of verse 29. Look at this with me. That you may believe in him whom he sent. Once and for all, the people were to acknowledge that the Father sent the Son and to believe upon him. In verse 30 here in John chapter 6, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? That we may see it and believe you, what work will you do? The Jews order is, number one, see. Number two, believe. Paul points this out. In 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul writes, for Jews request a sign. In essence, they want to see, and then they will believe. God's order is believe, number one, and in number two, then you will see. In John chapter 11, Jesus is interacting with Martha. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did you catch the order? Martha needed to express faith. 
in the promise of God. That's exactly what faith is, is taking God at his word and acting upon it. And if she would express faith, then she would see. This is how it works for you and me also. Once we believe, then we get to really understand and see the power and the work of the Almighty. And then in verse 31, it shows you how confused the Jewish people are. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, the Jews are saying that Moses was much greater than Jesus. Because Jesus had just fed them one time. But Moses had provided for them during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Three things now as you're zeroing in on verse 32, I want you to observe. We're going to have our second most assured, assuredly statement, the amen, amen. Notice number one, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Moses isn't greater than Jesus. It wasn't Moses who had the ability innately to call down bread from heaven. Do you recall the Jewish people? <laughs> the first day the manna came down, they went out and they looked at it and the Hebrew says, man who, what is it? God is the one who provided the supernatural provision for 40 years. It wasn't Moses. Number two, Jesus says, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Manna was not the true bread from heaven, but you see, it was earthly. It was material. It was limited. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. He's the one that when you partake of him in the sense of believing in him, he gives you eternal life. Because then notice number three, the words here, gives you. Present tense verb. The father, in a sense, is still giving the son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The true bread is the source of life. For the bread of God, this is now down in verse 33, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's the source of life? Who is the source of eternal life? In John 1, 4, in the prologue there of John's gospel, John writes about Jesus in him, was life. He was instrumental at creation of bringing the non-existing world into existence. What a miracle that was. Jesus was also involved in the creation of man in Genesis chapter 2. But also, and this is so very important, Jesus is the giver of eternal life. That when you turn to him in faith, you walk away from your previous wrong thinking about Jesus. Perhaps you had thought in the past that he was just a good man. 
or maybe even a prophet. The Spirit of God has come to convict the world of sin. Which sin in particular? The sin of unbelief. So when you repent, you change your mind about who Christ is and you get it and you put your faith in him, he imparts to you. He gives to you eternal life. Listen to John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. It's extraordinary. The Father is the giver of eternal life. The Son is the giver of eternal life. That's why in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. Now, as we come to the final section today in verses 34 through 40, let's observe the supplier of eternal life. Down in verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They were confused, like the woman at the well. Jesus started talking about a well that would provide that you would never be thirsty again. The woman doesn't get it of Samaria initially, and that is why Jesus said, go fetch your husband. He had to show that woman that he is eternally God and knew that the woman had had five husbands and the living now with her was not her husband. That's when she came to grips with who Jesus Christ is. These people don't get it. They are still materialistic and do not believe in Christ. Now for our key term today. Down in verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am. This will be the first of seven significant I am statements in John's gospel. I would like you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Would you go there, please? Exodus chapter 3. And as you're turning to Exodus chapter 3, this is the first I am statement, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7, number 3, I am the door. Number 4, I am the good shepherd. Number 5, I am the resurrection and life. Number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in number 7, I am the true vine. We'll study all seven accounts. Here in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been chosen by the Almighty to lead the nation out of bondage. What a tremendous privilege, but also what an enormous responsibility. Moses wants to know, when I go back and communicate to the people who you are, God, what do I do? Then Moses said to God, indeed, this is verse 13, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, notice I am, observe that. You might want to underline that. Three times the Hebrew verb hayah 
occurs. It means to be, to exist. In essence, God is telling Moses, I am the eternal God. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, with that said, when Jesus seven times in John's gospel gives us the I am statement each time, it's a reference to Jesus being co-eternal, being equal with God, being the one who has always existed. That's so important for us to understand. This is why when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves our soul. He gives us a fulfillment that can only be produced by the eternal God. Observe back here in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, and now it's the ume construction. It's the most powerful way from the Greek text to communicate no. He says, he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me, see the words, shall never, a second ume construction, shall never thirst. In essence, our Lord Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, satisfies the soul. He is the only one that can do this. Then, in verse 36, Jesus' correction, observe, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He rebukes the crowd. They had seen his works. They should have acknowledged who he was, put their faith in him, but they did not. They just wanted a bread king. They wanted someone to meet all their material desires. How sad. Jesus continues in verse 37. All that the Father has given me will come to me. Jesus is the one who initiates the relationship. In 1 John 4.10, we are told that it is God who first loves us. He's the initiator. So all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. There is a freedom for all, each and every person, to come to Jesus Christ. And when you come to him, he says, I will by no means, another ume construction, I will never cast you out. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. I want to give you an invitation. It's the invitation of our Lord. Revelation chapter 22. I want you to understand the breadth of Jesus' life and the gift that he offers. Revelation 22, here in verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This is the invitation to eternal life. The offer is given. Anyone. 
who understands who Jesus is and will trust him and him alone for their salvation will be given the gift of eternal life. And they will have a satisfaction that this world can never give. Back with me, please, as we bring this to a close. Uh, John 6, 38 and 39. For I have come down from heaven, says Jesus, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. One of the emphases that is given here in John chapter 6 is that Christ will raise the dead. He would be instrumental in raising himself first. That's John 10, 17 and 18. That he not only lays his life down, but he takes it back up again. But here in verse 40, I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then down in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He's not speaking of cannibalism here. He's referring to faith in him, and I will raise him up. When? At the last day. The emphasis in John's gospel is believe. That's how we close out our account. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and, underline the word everyone, believes in him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Beautiful text. Wonderful lesson. Here's the main point. Be satisfied eternally by believing in Jesus. Be satisfied eternally by believing in Jesus. He's the one, when you come to him by faith, will make sure that you never hunger or thirst again spiritually. He saves your soul, and then for you one day to die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is to enjoy the glory of heaven and the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. In closing, Colossians chapter 2. As you're turning to Colossians 2, may I encourage anyone who has not yet believed, put your faith in Jesus today. He'll save your soul. He'll quench that thirst within you that can never be satisfied by anything that this world can offer. And over here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul talks about empty philosophy. Philosophy, just the love of wisdom on a human plane, can never satisfy the soul. That's why in verse 9, Paul writes in Colossians 2, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ, came to reveal the Father to us. We learn that also from John's gospel. Jesus came to show mankind who God is. That's why he took on flesh. That's why he dwelt among 
the people. That he could manifest the nature of God. And then in verse 10, and you are complete in him. Oh, I love those words. You are complete in him. And it goes on to say, who is the head of all principality and power? If you've not yet believed on Christ, trust in him. Rely upon his finished work for you. Know that he died for your sin, conquer death. And that when you turn to him by faith, he will satisfy your soul eternally. And then for us who have already believed, just recognize that he completes you. You are complete in him who was the head of all principality and power. Let's live in light of our completion. Let the fullness of God now through the person of the Holy Spirit dwell in us. Let let that one complete us. What a great day it is to know God and to understand that He completes us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who is also the giver of life eternal life. Thank you that one, once we believe on him, he satisfies the soul forever. Thank you as well that we are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. I pray for those who have not yet believed that today would truly be the day of salvation for them. May they right now put their faith in Jesus who died for their sin and was raised from the dead. Complete many today, Lord. And I know that happens, the moment of faith. And for us who have known you, perhaps have walked with you for many years, help us to have a greater appreciation of the complete life we have because of your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.